warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies, with just the occasional hint of professionalism. Scott here, with me, Stephen. Good morning. Morning, mate. I'm How fine. you doing? We talk about professionalism and the and the lack of it usually on this podcast. We're trying something a little bit new to overcome the terrors of Skype this morning. Yes, it may work. It may not. Um, basically, what we're doing. We're still recording on, well, we're listening to each other on Skype, but recording separate audio tracks. We're going to try and cobble them together somehow at the end of this. <laughs> well, you say we. <laughs> yeah, I got, um, who's going to be doing it? <laughs> you, you, I, I offer, but you, you know that you, you feel more comfortable doing it yourself. Politely so decline. I'll leave yes. you to it. Yes. <laughs> so I don't push it. Yeah. So let's see if this works. Hopefully. The quality should improve. The quality of the conversation, not necessarily. No, but the quality of the recording <laughs> sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the drivel that we spout will actually be a bit more crystal clear, hopefully. You lucky, lucky, lucky listeners. people, you. It's episode 51. Yes, happy 50th, <laughs> well, yes, mate. Yes, it, the podcast will now be um, falling asleep in a chair and then unable to get What are you getting it? on to here? How dare you? How very dare you? <laughs> It's a, it's a bizarre little thing. It's it's episode 51, but what we're doing is celebrating the fact that it's our 50th movie that we're reviewing due to the anomaly that was episode 007, which was a documentary that we put out from, from those wonderful people at Rainbow Valley. And yeah. they'll go far. What, what a nice book he is. Get on really well with that one. And being... You know, it's, it was my fiftieth birthday, as as most of you guys know. This year, it, it's it's a You've not mentioned no, that no, before. I have no, well, you haven't too much. You know, just well, nothing kind about it anyway. <laughs> but nineteen sixty nine, monumental year. You know, I always said this: the year I was born was the year of the moon landings, Woodstock, the Manson killings, Altamont, Abbey Road. It was it was the the peak of the sixties, but also it it sort of sounded its death knell as well. You know, it just came crashing down towards the end of the year, and we decided that to celebrate our fiftieth movie review, we'd, we'd find a movie that was exactly fifty years old. And I can't remember what the choices were, but they, it was quite limited, if I remember rightly, wasn't it? Unfortunately, it was yeah, surprisingly limited. You know. Con- Considering the magnitude of the year and um, the 60s in general and then the 70s, it seemed to have been a bit of a fallow year just there where um, there wasn't as much 
quality choice as we yeah, expected. Yeah, it's in Hollywood. It's it's marked as the year that changed Hollywood. It was the death of the studio system and the birth of the independent directors and producers, Easy Rider, and you know those guys, those new Hollywood guys like Spielberg, Lucas, and Dennis Hopper. All those were coming to the forefront, and uh, it's it's changing times as as the sixties were. You know, on Rainbow Valley, I always refer to it to the decade that shook the world, but. We've picked a movie that didn't necessarily shake a lot of things. It's it's quite reserved, but there's some underlying subversion, shall I say. Yes, it's um, not the movie that um, people may actually expect yeah. it to be when watching yeah. it. So, without further ado, let's take a short break. We're going to be back with 1969's The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie. See you in a second. Miss Brodie. She always looks so extreme. You will have to watch Miss Brodie's stomach. <laughs> oh, Miss Brodie, you are dangerous. I would deem it a sincere service to the school if any indiscretion that might reach your ear should also reach mine. There's a special kind of woman who will always cause people to talk. Miss Brodie's really in love with Mr. Lloyd, but he's married to another. So she's working it off on Mr. Lowther. I don't understand, Eugene. You will not marry me, and yet you feed me and share my bed. Share your bed? Why can't you say you are my lover? <gasps> the truth, Jean, is that you bounced into bed with an artist, but you were horrified when you woke up with a man. Now, a special kind of woman is at the heart of a special kind of motion picture. You go for my life now. Soon you will graduate and I will no longer teach you, but you will always be broody girls. First he puts out the light, then their toes touch, then Miss Brody, Miss Brody, Miss Brody says, darling. Come back, Jane. I need you. Is this what your girls, your set, has learned under your auspices, Miss Brodie? I am a teacher. I am a teacher first, last, always. Do you imagine that for one instant I will let that be taken from me without a fight? I have dedicated, sacrificed my life to this profession, and I will not stand by like an inky little slacker and watch you rob me of it. Out of one Jean Brodie comes a whole rebellious generation of Jean Brodies. Out of the Broadway and London stage smash hit, has come a motion picture masterpiece. It stars the extraordinary Maggie Smith as Miss Jean Brody. How much longer are you going to be tempted by this firm young flesh? All to your Jean and over the hill. Hey, Teddy, take me dancing. Certainly not. 
not a coward. A man with a wife and six children, plus a schoolgirl for a mistress, can be called any number of rude names, but coward is not one of them. You really are a shallow girl. You really are a ridiculous woman. By the way, she died. Mary McGregor illumined her life. She died a heroine. She died a fool. How dare you speak to me in this manner? All the leaves have gone green And the hills are raised With a morning haze Come into my arms, Bonnie Jean The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, released in the UK on the 26th of February 1969 Directed by Ronald Neem, starring Maggie Smith, Gordon Jackson Robert Stevens, based on the novel by Muriel Spark. The synopsis. A liberated young school teacher at an Edinburgh girls' school in the period between the two wars instructs her girls on the ways of life. Ignoring the more mundane subjects, she teaches them of love, politics and art. Her affairs with two male teachers become known and she finds herself fighting to keep her job. She believes that she can always count on the 100% support of her favourite pupils, but one of them doesn't feel that Miss Jean Brodie is in her prime anymore. No longer swayed by her teacher's eloquence, she begins to learn about life and love herself. That actually sums it up better than literally what we were just yes. saying off air, that our memories of this movie are probably not quite true. <sighs> yeah, it for me, um, to just Go for jump it. in mm. early here... Um, for me, I haven't, as you, as we said before, I haven't seen it for um, several years, if not, you know, maybe a dozen yeah. years. And um, for some reason in my mind, I recollected it to be more of a Dead, Poet, Dead Poets Society type exactly affair. Exactly yeah. Where there was a, a, a sort of avant-garde teacher going against the rules and, you know, expanding the pupils' horizons yeah. in an unconventional way outside the sort of restrictive conservative um, hierarchy that was of the school that was wanting to actually keep things locked down. That was my stronger recollection of what the film was. And although there's a part of that in there, that's not really the um, the, the main focus. There was a lot more. I mean, there was <laughs> um, a lot more. You know, um, of the politics and. Um, child nudity and, and sex and uh, all that kind of thing uh, that, um, that I didn't recollect and it sort of came back to me but at the time but before I watched it that was completely out of my mind and I was going this is different to what I recall. Yes I had exactly the same thoughts that there are probably two ways of describing this movie one is like a dead poet society type inspirational story of a fantastic teacher taking her girls under the wing and, and developing their minds but then you could also break it down into a story about fascism teenage sex and even teenage nudity as you say and, and it's like where do we go with this what what part of this do we review i think we review it as a whole obviously we have to but we can't ignore both elements and both sides to this movie it i think I think the two are tied together in the sense of um, a romanticism. Mm -hmm. She she had a romanticism about her, herself. Oh yeah, mm. Miss Jean Brodie, 
um, and her romanticism about the roles that she was uh, imposing on the on the girls um, as her her followers, but also about what these fascist strongmen were doing, uh, romanticizing what they were about, um, that they were again trying to develop break the system and and develop good things in people. Um, when actually the the opposite was true, and um, I think that's where the two come together. That there's, it's that romantic view of self and other people that actually didn't fit the reality. Yeah, um, I I remember watching this. Now I'm going back. You say you probably haven't seen it for about a dozen years. Myself might be longer. I'm talking twenty odd. Um, right. First time watch would have been not a Sunday afternoon because this isn't when you look at it. A Sunday afternoon movie. <laughs> There's no way this could have no. been put as a matinee on the on the, on the ITV um, at two o'clock just before the big match. There's no way they could have shown this unless they cut it severely. But it's not gratuitous. It's it's just there. It's part of the story. And and as you say, my impression is the same as yours. That I remembered this twee little romantic, very bright coloured movie from the late sixties that won a few Oscars and got nominated for lots of different awards. And when you look at it, you get a hard-hitting, really, really unique story. And I absolutely adored it this time around. I found it a little bit of a, a, a chore to start with because I thought, they can't drag this story on much longer. You know, it's her developing what they call the Brody set, isn't it? She, she handpicks four particular girls. Yeah, is that and that unless you'd gone down the Dead Poets Society route or the route that it did go, there the was you couldn't perpetuate that for the length of the entire yeah. film. Absolutely, and then it it doesn't switch, but then all of a sudden, this element gets brought in. The fascism element is 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 introduced quite, you know, bang! It opens up with her travelling to Italy, isn't it? I think she's showing a slideshow, and she mentions Mussolini, and you get an inkling of of her political inclinations. The the first mention of Mussolini is when she's on one of the day trips with the girls in the streets yeah. and there's litter on mm. the ground and she points out that oh uh, Mussolini has has, has cracked down That's upon it. littering in the in the streets and um, the she's, you know um, so that that's where it first creeps yeah. in as far as there being uh, that an admiring tone and no matter how much she despised litter. Um, it's still not correct to um, praise <laughs> Mussolini because <laughs> this is set. I think it starts about 1932, doesn't it? I think is yes, 32. So, yeah. We, obviously, we're talking between the wars and Spanish Civil War, which also gets a mention, quite an important mention later on. Let's start sort of right back at the beginning. You know, we 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 meet Jean Brody. She is, as you said, is quite. Romantic. She's got these romantic notions, um, and, and drifting away from the set school curriculum. That she wants to, as I say, take the girls under her wing and, and, and develop them. What is the actual phrase? There's something she says. Give me a, a young girl with with a head on her shoulders or something. I can't remember what she's. I want. To, I want to put an old head on young shoulders, um, and for them to, you know, the creme de la creme gets mentioned. But she's. She's, she's partially a romanticist and partly also potentially a, a fantasist because 
that she makes you know there's the reference to her lost love who died in the oh, first world the, war he fell on flanders fields or something fell on yeah. flanders fields and she's got she's got almost a poem that she recites with reference to to him and you get the impression that there's a certain amount of as i said not just romanticism but um fantasy yeah. about who he was and what he was and you start that's when i started thinking there was there was um a lack of of trueness to to her and that she wasn't necessarily in the in the here and now in the real world um properly um but yes she starts out and she's she's got these ideas that she can mold these young minds into um something greater and she can spot what roles they are going to be um occupying um in future which is imposition really of her own will rather than letting them have the free will that she's allegedly trying to nurture in them yeah, as well as the relationship between the girls you've got the relationship between Jean Brody and in particular two male members of staff and mm-hmm. the headmistress now correct me if I'm wrong I'm sure there's a mention that Jean Brody was was given the position before this headmistress took over, is that right? I think she was, wasn't she? Yeah, she says she points out to the headmistress that she that um, she knows the ethos of the school because she's been there six years longer than the headmistress there we has. Go. But, but there's an um, instant clash, isn't there? There's, you can this yeah. divide between them. They just basically a mutual hatred for each other, in the ways. And the and the point and the point that um, she's got tenure. So only the um, board of governors can dismiss her. The headmistress can't do it unilaterally. Yeah. Um, that that's part of an early discussion as well, which obviously builds up that she knows that's what the headmistress would like to do if she could. Um, so, so yes, but, um, the headmistress obviously is wonderfully um, performed as by well. Celia Johnson. So, so um, Hall of Fame inductee today. Yeah, yeah, British Hall of Fame. Yes, previously in um, Brief Encounter and in which we served. Which is incredible because I thought. Go back to Brief Encounter, which was 1945. I thought Celia Johnson was a lot younger than that. She's she's in her 60s in, in this particular movie. Um, mm. And to see her as an older woman, it was, it was fascinating because I only know younger Celia Johnson from those two movies particularly and some David, other David Lean stuff. Um, but to see her still acting well into her 70s almost, um, she could still do it. I mean, the only thing I will point out I think the only actual Scottish actor or actress in this movie is Gordon Jackson, possibly. Um, there's a couple of the other female is, teachers. Oh, yeah, because Molly um, Weir's in it as well, isn't she? The Flash lady. Remember the Flash adverts on TV in the 70s? She's there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, and um, it, I think um, one of one of the female teachers was, was either... Oh, she was either in either in Superground or she was in the um, Renewer. Was she in the Rent Rent Rentagos? That's that's Molly Weir. Yeah, Molly Weir. That's yeah, Molly that's Weir, her. Yeah. So yeah, so there's only uh, um, actually I think I tell you there is another one. I think I think the the um, the science teacher yes. um, uh, Lockhart. I think she is because um, strangely enough, she was actually the um, at the time or became the. Um, wife of Gordon yeah, Jackson. Yeah, she was. She was Gordon Jackson's wife at the time. That's Rona Anderson, mm. and also Maggie Smith and Robert Stevens were married at the time. 
Yes, yes, there were, yeah. So, interesting sort of dynamics going on, but some of the Scottish accents are a little bit patchy, a little bit in and out, but we'll forgive that. That's that's nothing, you know, to distract from what we're going to be talking about and mm. what the film actually sets out to do. What does the film set out to do? I don't know. We may get to that in a moment. What is the point of this story? It develops into a completely different article than what we, we originally, you know, start watching in the first 10, 15 minutes. The standout performance it's, for me... Sorry, go, go. No, I, I can say it's, it, it, it does change as a mm, film. So, yeah. yeah. But the standout performances, um, yeah. I, um, I, I want to highlight Pamela Franklin as Sandy because... Absolutely. Incre- I didn't realise how important a role she has from the very opening scenes to the very last. It's just as much a film about her as it is Miss yeah. Jean Brody, to be yeah. fair. Yeah, even more so. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, awards-wise, I know there was a Best Supporting Actress for um, for uh, Celia Johnson, but um, to be perfectly honest, I think um, Pamela Franklin, you know, deserved... To, to win something for that rather than just get a mention for it because her performance was incredibly strong, especially for somebody of, of her age. I know she was older than the um the character she yeah. was playing, but yeah, it was, she she was co lead of this in, in many ways and her, her performance particularly how she she, along with a number of the other characters, they they change who they are. Oh, yeah. She's almost she she's almost she's almost but she's the best example of it, mm-hmm. I think, of of us, the viewer, who starts out viewing Miss um, Jean Brodie as a character at the beginning and then our transition to how we feel about her at the end, um, I think she she is is the viewer in that respect because she her her transition throughout the film slowly changes and you can see it. She 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 displays it in such a subtle way, but she displays it gradually all the way through the film taking us from you know Miss Dream Brody to being you know a, a heroine that's that is idolized to being somebody that at the end you a bit of a demon yeah despise, despise, yeah, she's, yeah she's the glue that holds it all together but she's also as you say the reflection of of the story itself and I think she was probably about 19 when she made this movie she was. I did yeah. have to check because um, seeing her nude, even though it was in context <laughs> yeah. and, and stuff, seeing her nude, I Hang went. On a minute. <laughs> am I am I comfortable about about that? If she's a fourteen year old girl, and um, no, she was a nineteen year old yeah. girl, and and um, I think in the actual film, she was, she was meant to be sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. Starts off um, as twelve. That's the little... thing, isn't it? I think they're all twelve year olds at the beginning. Yes, um, and it's because it, this story does spread over about five six years from you know first years to, to senior school graduation almost and and as you say the development of the Brody set and how they're influenced by Brody herself particularly Mary McGregor in quite a serious serious twist um, yeah well let's let's talk about that now because we, we we touched on the fascism side of things here Mary McGregor starts off as a new girl at school there's two new girls turn yes. up, and instantly you can see that there's something in her that Jean Brodie has taken a liking to, and she's thinking, right, this one I can mould. This one's going to be one of my girls, one of my one of the Brodie set as they become. And the story doesn't focus too much on Mary McGregor throughout the intervening years. It's only towards the end when we get 
the Spanish Civil War part of the storyline, that how much control Brody has had or how much influence. Oh, yeah. It's insidious. Yeah. It's, it's the <laughs> word. And, um, but massively misinformed. Yes. I mean, the first, the first mention of the fact that her older brother had absconded from uh, Oxford University or Cambridge, mm. whichever one it was, to go um, to the Spanish Civil War and me knowing knowing history is you know it's the fact that um more people absconded from the country to go and fight from this country to go to the international brigades and and fight on the republican side rather than the yeah. fascist side uh, my instinct was well that's what he's yeah. going to do and then later on they were talking about it as him going to fight for mm. franco um on the fascist side and i was thinking how that's not been established that that's a fact and obviously <laughs> that is a plot point um so uh, and and yes, it's it's again, it's her taking forward her romanticism and her idea and her belief of what is the actual reality rather than what is in reality yeah, real. And it's just it's a, the the tragic part of the story is that thanks to the influence of Jean Brodie, poor old Barry McGregor jumps off on a train to follow her brother and ends up getting killed in a, an attack on a train in in. Spain somewhere, doesn't she? I believe she's so. Yeah. Heartbreaking stuff because there's as much as um, Sandy is possibly the main character out of all of the child child actors. You've still got something for Mary McGregor. You've still got a feeling for her because you've seen her develop to a certain degree from the beginning. I do think that just to cre- just to mm. quickly the. I do think that for anybody of any age, particularly a younger actress like that, but for, I think it's for anybody to play somebody with a speech mm-hmm. impediment. It's in, inordinately difficult, in in my mm. opinion, to be to be able to do that without it coming across as being forced and comical. Yep. And I think she, I think she, she, she just managed to ride that line correctly that it was um, a speech impediment and not be um, something that was used. Yeah, also if you look at the very first sort of introductory scene where we see her where she's made to stand up in front of the class and say her name and what she's you know what her interests are and the rest of the girls are sniggering obviously because she's you know she's got this funny voice she's got this speech impediment she's got this stutter but it's her reaction to their reaction as you say that proves she's a bloody fine actress because she's responding exactly as a 12-year-old girl with a, with a speech impediment would. Talking to the schoolgirls, you saw my tweet last night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just to, just to she, break up this heavy yeah. conversation a little bit. That is Helen Worth, isn't it? It's It's got to be, yes. the One of the stalwart um, stars of Coronation Street, it seems... Um, not a show either of us particularly nope. watch, but um, we're, we're, it's it's cultural, so we're aware of her existence as as the chinless wonder that is um, Gail something over. I can't remember her name. She was a Tilsley, wasn't she? I think. <laughs> yeah. So she. Um, so yeah, and it's just you look at her and you just straight away you just go, "That's got to be her." There's nobody else who can yeah. look like like that. Uh, distinctive, even in her youth, distinctive. <laughs> Yeah. IMDB do lister. It, it just says uncredited schoolgirl, and also uncredited. You have got a Doctor Who link here. Do you remember the two Peter Cushing Dalek movies, Doctor Who? Yeah, 
the young yes. girl that played Susan was an actress called Rebecca Tovey. And she's uncredited. And I believe on that photo that I tweeted out, she is the schoolgirl sitting next to Helen Worth. So, so she's right. in this. And there's another very slight Doctor Who connection here. The part of Sandy was originally offered to uh, Wendy Padbury, who played Zoe. She she turned this down to play Zoe in the Patrick Troughton era. Oh, right. So there's a couple of Doctor Who sort of connections here. I mean, your general impression of it this time round, it's, it's, it's a totally different film to what we both remember. This is what we're saying, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Is it a, be- is, is uh, it a better it's, impression? It's, a better memory of it? or it's, it, it's, um, it's a better film than I recall. Fantastic, yeah. Um, for, that, for that reason, um, I did think there was less to it. Um, I remembered it being um, a film of, of note and something that was very worthy, but I, I didn't remember it to have the intricacies that it does have. And, you know, it can be watched, f- you know, fairly flatly without actually dwelling too much on the, the these details that we're picking out. Um, and obviously that might be how I've watched it in the past without picking yeah. up so much on these details. But uh, and in, And still... You feel like it's a, a great film, but the uh, these details and the, the 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 politics of a big and a small p, and the the, the sort of um, way in which there's a sh- um, a, a, in tandem the way that the um, fascism and the what's happening in the school with the relationship between the teachers and then the teachers and the pupils, um, it's it's. It's a lot more intricate and interesting film. I don't, I, you know, I've not read the book, and apparently the book's uh, a lot more avant-garde and, and jumps all over the place with foreshadowing. And, and I did try to see if I could watch the um, TV series that was done a few years later with Geraldine McEwen, because Geraldine McEwen, um, when, particularly when she was younger, stunning-looking woman, but she's a great actress. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't, I couldn't get a copy of that in time. But um, yeah, that and that expands out. I mean, that's a seven-episode epic or something over. But um, there's a lot more to it in the book and in, in the other adaptations. But this, they've turned it into a narrative that works, but um, it's, it's very much a different film to what I remembered, um, and you know, appreciably so. I think I'm going to have to go back and watch it again because I was sitting down yesterday evening expecting, as I say, this twee movie that I remembered and I suddenly found myself being taken down a road that I wasn't expecting the the sheer manipulation of her and the children almost enticing them to sleep with Robert Stevens yes as a proxy for yeah, herself and it's like well where did this come from and do you know what the clues are all there I don't know if you've got your your laptop open there Stephen to look at IMDB but if you look at the the film poster that was released at the time it's this it's this red sort of cartoon drawing and I and, and yes if you open up that picture because you don't notice the intricate details of it there's actually a picture of Sandy topless um you can't actually see anything but it's like well, it's there it's, it's all there you know it's a, yes, yeah, just with a, a sort of yeah, no, with the boater yeah. and, and just sort of holding her hands up so you can't see anything. 
And behind her, there appears to be like a parade of schoolgirls in lines, a bit like an army parade. But can you see there's there's girls missing from the? There's yeah, there's some missing from there, which she's picked out as her um, her ones to cut yeah, to groom, pretty basically. much. In in a modern sense of the word grooming, rather yes. than the, the probably the sense of the grooming yeah. at the time, um, absolutely. There's there's some that have been picked out, and yeah, it's um, that that poster I think is ingenious for that subtlety of what it's actually portraying. No, um, don't a lot of talk about the artwork of posters and things like this. Obviously, with me graphic design background, it does appeal, mm. but there's not always enough to be speaking about but you're perfectly right to highlight I only this. just noticed it I thought why is that there why why is that and I just realized it's sandy that's actually topless so obviously indicator of the changing era of the time it's 1969 permissive society has been kicking in for the last seven or eight years since the Lady Chatley affair you know the tagline on the poster in the surprising world of Jean Brodie there are two men and four girls that that sums up the story. If if you really wanted to, you know, sum it up in one sentence, but there is more to this than even the trailer or what you think you know about this movie has ever ever shown you. And I say I I must have missed so many bits as well. I've I've got to go back and watch it again, and I'm going to watch it for a different pair of eyes again this time round. It's it's yeah it's a it's a film that merits a rewatch and it's the same with me as well um if i'd had time i would have probably watched mm. it again to see what else i picked up on i mean i don't think the the enormity of difference between what i remembered and what i actually watched um last night would be the, the same as a second watch but i certainly would have picked up on a number of details that um i'd already you know missed just through the surprise really, of watching it and trying to absorb what I was seeing compared to what I'd been expecting. Um, but it's a film that I think merits rewatching. You know, I should be ashamed of myself for not having rewatched it um, sooner than this I This is the joy of the podcast. We said this yeah. when we first started, that we've got similar memories being similar age, watching movies in same circumstances. You know, I probably saw this. I think I must have seen this the early days of Channel 4. We're talking 82, 83. I reckon I reckon it might have been BBC Two, um, but late on a on a sort of Friday yeah. night or a Saturday night or something. Yeah. yeah, round about that era. And again, classic case of too young to actually appreciate what we were watching. We, we we knew it was a classic movie at the time, yeah, but didn't appreciate the subtleties and the nuances that was being thrown at us. And watching it through adult eyes, watching a movie that's exactly the same age as myself. It's incredible, and inc- incredible as well that there were no other movies to challenge this at the time. We struggled to find a British movie. There was no competition. We couldn't find another British movie that we could say, it's this, this or Miss Jean Brodie. It was instantly, it was, this is the one we're going to do. This, this stood out. This stood out absolutely straight away as being, as soon as that, was, that appeared on the list, it was like, well, it's got to be. Um, do you know the nearest rival to it would have been Carry On Camping? <laughs> <laughs> and that says something <laughs> yeah well we can't do things out of order like that anyway but um no i mean it, and in this film you know that the, the whereas the, the cinematography might not be you know have any particular um worth where we mention it just is is fine it's not anything special there's no no um a lot, not a lot of in- inventiveness in there but the um 
the 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 writing, um, which a lot of this is coming from, you know, the the actual dialogue, um, a fair amount of it is coming from the actual book, I imagine. Yeah. But it's not it's not all serious. There's a lot of bits in the, you know bits in there where there's wit. Mm. I mean, it might be scathing wit, but it's wit <laughs> um, in there, and and it's clever, and um, but it's still in, enjoyable. Despite the sort of the serious overtones that the the uh, and undertones as well as both uh, in there, um, it still has sort of humorous elements in there and and bits where you you, you do watch um, the the Jean Brody character give the headmistress a dressing down with in her own office and 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 sort of walk out and you do think well done I wish oh, I could yeah, do that with people definitely. but um, you know her overall motives and are a bit less um, admirable but it's it's an impressive film in a number of different aspects and you know it's um, not the film I remembered though no uh, you said about the cinematography bit. It screams Scotland, though, when you look at it, the external shots and even the, the greys and the, the dull colours of the classroom. It's just, that that's perfect. That encapsulates 1930s school life. But, but doesn't that ex- uh, sort of accentuate, um, and it's mentioned a couple of times by the headmistress and stuff, about the clothing that um, Jean Brody wears. She's wearing um, more bold colours yes. in her, her dresses and things. Um, and when... The, there's a caustic comment from um, particularly the headmistress she just takes you know she just treats it as if it is a compliment um, <laughs> and doesn't take it as a criticism um, and and I think that that bolder choice of colour therefore is accentuated and, and the juxtaposition mm. but um, yeah it's you know it's a, a grey sort of almost precursor to, to Hogwarts and, and actually <laughs> very, very much very much in with you know the traditional thing that you've got with Tom Brown school days and such like. You Goodbye, know. Mr. Chips. Yeah, those sort of movies. Yeah, she she's quite extravagant when she's leading them through the museum. You know, her arms flying about and just flowing dress behind her, and it's 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 a it's a theatrical act almost as well as there is genuine fondness for her pupils. You can see that, can't you? That's the thing. It's not. That she's so self-centred that she's, even though she's manipulating them, as we said, I believe there is a genuine fondness for them. And, and she needs their company and their admiration because when she invites Sandy to tea and she gets turned down, it's like, oh, that's a genuine look of rejection on her face. But she knows that Sandy is edging towards this rebellious part of the story. Um fascinating watching it this time round, mate absolutely fascinating yeah and there's there's the, the layers to it can be um enjoyed or they can be um just ignored if and still it's a great film that but there's yeah the the rewatch is going to be interesting to see what we extrapolate out of that um because we've been looking out for things mm. um but yeah, as as a character, you know, the Jean Brody and and you know, obviously Sandy as well, being the fo- the 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 mirror um, of ourselves as well as a mirror to um, Jean Brody. Yeah. It, to to watch those two characters develop through the film and change our change in perspective of them both, it's it's a journey that the film takes you on to just be sat and and in, just absorbed and enjoyed. 
Yeah, it certainly wasn't what I was expecting. And I'll encourage anybody that may have been put off by, you know, the subject matter if they've not seen the movie before, thinking, oh, it's going to be one of those theatrical adaptations. It's going to be a bit dull and a bit boring. No, it's, it's far from it if you look <laughs> if you look into this. It's... Yeah, and it's not the Dead Poets Society that we expect. Unless, you know, unless there was a secret undercurrent to Dead Poets Society where you were secretly a, a Trump-supporting Make America Great type, um, then um, then this is, you know, the, the parallels fall away quite quickly as far as um what i was expecting from this film it's it's it, it's not dull it's um it's a film that that just challenges in 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 a way but without being difficult yeah on letterboxd i i gave this 4 out of 5 stars last night i was i was holding back on the that extra fifth star because i'm pretty much sure that when i do go back to this it will suddenly become something even more special. As I say, it, it took me by surprise this time round. Uh, the frankness of it, uh, the harshness of some of the storylines, the harshness of her character, which you know, on, on the surface level you don't see. You don't see how that mind is working. And it is a marvellous performance from Maggie Smith. She won the Oscar for this, didn't she, I believe? She did. Yeah, and it is theatrical, the performance, but deservedly so. It's it's just incredible. And I think I, I can't think of anybody else that, that could have done it. Well, originally in the, the play there was um Vanessa Redgrave. Yes, she there. was, yeah. Yeah. Um but there's the 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 concentration in this is is the plot and the dialogue and the performances. It's very much it is a theatrical piece and that's where it's come from before you know, um after it was a novel that was adapted. Yeah. And it doesn't need um, there to be any camera trickery. It doesn't need there to be um, a car chase or any, any dramatic special effects or any of these kind of things. Uh, it just, it's got the strength in the plot and the dialogue to carry and performances to carry it through. And all the way, from, you know, as I say, it's difficult to find performances that are, are lacking in this. There's some people who didn't, shine on screen because of what their role was wasn't to be that um but all the people who were there at the, the forefront and the main supports they all did an incredible job of it i mean obviously maggie smith yes absolutely a legend of, of acting in this country and uh, we've already you know spoken before um about um pamela um franklin and and her performance and Celia Johnson as well, but, you mm. know, Gordon Jackson and, and Robert Stevens do an incredible job as, as well as as the two completely different characters as far as the male <laughs> male male supporting leads. Yes, um, you know, and we'll, we'll probably get Gordon Jackson into the uh, Village Hall of Fame at some point. This is his second appearance. He's number two. Um, yeah, um, just as um, is is. His wife, it's her second appearance as well, uh, Rona Anderson. Um, and John Dunbar as well, actually. I forgot to mention him before. He, he was one of the, I think he was the, the older male teacher that she asked to dance at that. At oh, yeah. yeah. Um, he was, um, I think it was night to remember he was in previously. But they're, they're all credible actors Definitely. and actresses. Mm. But some of them just didn't have as big a parts and, and you know, maybe overshadowed in some sense by the leads. But... Um, I think everybody did a, a, a great job in, in this. 
Um, as, we, as we say, it's not just her movie. Pamela Franklin, I think, deserves equal billing for this. Yes. Um, just quickly, just read here just now. Other actresses considered for the role of Jean Brody. It just names two. Hepburn. Hepburn. How did you guess? <laughs> and Julie Andrews. Mm. Now, just do a role reversal. Imagine Maggie Smith as Mary Poppins. <laughs> Would that work? A young Maggie Smith, a couple of years prior to this. I think it would. I think that it, that would work better than Julie Andrews <laughs> as Jean Brody. Yeah, just interesting. It just suddenly um, came to me, you know. <laughs> you know, and no disrespect to, to um, Julie Andrews, and we know she went on to do other roles. You know, there were roles where she did, you know, have nudity and, and such like this, mm. and she sort of expanded her, her um, palette in that sense. But to be able to... Would she be able to do this as the same way? I mean, I know, know she can do fantasy, but she, can she do, um, you know, somebody who's, who's living a, f- a fantasy within the real world? I'm not sure. Uh, do you know what? But, I think at the time, I, I don't think audiences would have been prepared for Julie Andrews, Andrews in that role. They, they were used to Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, and then towards the end of the decade, when she appeared, I think it was Star and Thoroughly Modern Millie. She was still known as a musical actress, wasn't she? And... I don't think they'd have been prepared for like the fascism side of things and the manipulation. You know, it's Julie Andrews who was all sweet and light, basically, in the audience's mind. So yeah, you might have had a better at the right age type t- uh, period. You might have had a better time with um, Angela Lansbury or somebody, but she was older. But you know, even at that stage, she was old. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, because um... she's about two hundred and twelve at the moment. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this is just prior to Bend Dobbs and Broomsticks, which was a couple of years after. Yeah. But I think she had, I think they aged her for that, didn't they, back then? Mm. You know? um, but um, but yeah, there's as I say, um, that the alternatives, although you know possible, I, th- I think that they still made the right choice having Maggie Smith do it, and. Um, She's she's not let us down since as an actress. Exactly, and I think it it would be difficult not to I don't know sort of bestow awards on anybody that played that role because of the way it's so well written. If you've got a competent actress, just the whole storyline and the prose and the way that the the character is written, it's it, uh, you you just you know you could get anybody to to play that role because. It's just the words. It's just the whole situation. She's just a character herself. I think is is just worthy of of accolade. So, absolutely, yeah. yeah. In your rating system, mate, what, what are we recommending here? It's not one that I feel people need to go out and you know catch at the cinema. There's no element to it that that requires or even would you know necessarily make enough of a difference to go and catch at the cinema but I would definitely recommend most people um, to try and catch it as you know and go out the way to try and watch it um, television or streaming wise because it, it is a, a, a monumental film despite its subtleties yeah not the film you're expecting that's the only way we can describe this I think yeah marvellous marvellous movie okay mate that's our 50th film review We'll be back after this. We'll be number 51.
Okay, Stephen, for our 51st movie review, we're going back, I think it's 1948. It is, it's 1948, to a movie directed by a guy called Charles Friend. Looking down this cast list, I think we need to amend the Village Hall of Fame because if we have no new inductees with this movie, we've certainly got some second appearances or even <laughs> fourth or fifth, I think, coming up as well. Let me give you some of the names that are in this movie. You ready? John Mills. James Roberts, James Robertson Justice. Kenneth Moore. John Gregson, for a start, okay? All appeared previously on the show, some more than others. Uh, another Doctor Who connection here. Do you remember the Doctor Who producer Barry Letts? I think he was Pertwee era. Uh, yes. He yes. started his life as an actor. He's in this movie. Right. Okay. Is this quite a chilly film? You've got it. You've got it. My namesake, we're going to watch Scott of the Antarctic. Oh, I thought it was uh, the magnificent Mr. Phipps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, That's a sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, nah, yeah, this is a, a film that is, um, although that it's, it's concentrating on maybe a smaller number of people, it's quite epic in the subject matter. Oh, yes, yeah, big production at the time. It's It was two hours long. I always remember it from, again, Sunday afternoons, but it was always seen as a, as a big movie, it it was that proper, as you say, that epic feel to it, and one of those bizarre British traits that we celebrate failure, and yeah. it, is, it is, isn't it, the underdog? And <laughs> well, yeah, it's like this is this is an incredibly stupid idea that failed, but well done. Well done. We'll make a great movie out of it. And it's well, apparently, according to the poster, a truly great motion picture. Just <laughs> you know, quite um, modest of them. That whole era of the polar explorers at the turn of the centuries is something that's always fascinated me. It's one of the things that I've I've been into since probably watching this as a very small child. And people like Shackleton and Peary and Amundsen and all of those guys, I've, I've got biographies and books galore on all of them. So I may be gushing more about the history side of things than the film, and you'll have to pull me back into line, I think, mate, when we get to talk about this movie. Oh, I will uh, do. But I, I think... I wasn't quite ready to bring you the next in the kitchen sink dramas. I need to do a little bit of prep for it, and I need you to watch a couple beforehand as well, before we yeah. lead into it. Get, get them, get them, the missing ones watched. Yeah. yeah, yeah. and I just thought, OK, let's go with that. Um, been meaning to bring it to you for a while. There's a marvellous Blu-ray copy was released about two or three months ago, so it's also an excuse for me to go and buy it now because I've been putting it off. So um, looking forward to that. Scott of the Antic. 19, Scott of the Antic. Scott of the Antic. <laughs> <laughs> Try that again. Because <laughs> the only bit of that you got right was your own name, to be fair. <laughs> Scott of the Antarctic, 1948. Thank you for... Uh, your thoughts on Miss Jean Brodie today? What an eye opener! Yes, it's um, it certainly was. Watching it was a was a, a revelation of a film that I thought I knew. Yeah, same as exactly the same thoughts, mate. Again, we've we've got similar memories to movies and watching them. It's just opened our eyes once again. So great. Let's leave it at that. We'll be back next time with Scott of the Antarctic. Stephen, thank you very much for being here this morning. It's my pleasure. 
See you very soon, sir. Goodbye. Take care. Absolute shower. A positive shower. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. British end up, sir.